Welcome to Software Security Chat Chat, episode 64 for June 15th, 2011. I'm Chester Wisniewski, and my guest this week is Chris Braun. Chris is the Threat Operations Manager for the North American uh, branch of Sophos Labs and works uh, as one of my colleagues here in Vancouver. Welcome, Chris. Hi, Chet. Good to be here. And Chris and I are going to talk uh, at, at the, the, the main point of the podcast is to talk about targeted attacks and kind of what we've learned from our experiences in Sophos Labs assisting our customers when they've been targeted and to kind of dispel some of the myths and give some practical advice on what you really need to be looking for and what does it really mean when these things happen to you if, if you happen to be the target. So I think it'll be a pretty interesting conversation. We're not going to do any of the uh, hype cycle. We're going to stick to the facts and it, it should be great. So first off, I'm just going to cover a bit of the week's news. Uh, the story that seems to have a life of its own is um, Lull's security. The Lull's boat is apparently still sailing the high pirate seas. And, um, you know, they recently broke into the U.S. Senate's website, senate.gov, really stole some rather innocuous, pointless information, patchy configs, uh, lists of directory listings. It, it didn't uh, – it was a bit weird. I mean, it, I, I guess it's just the kind of proving we can kind of thing and – um, and actually today, apparently, they've been DDoSing people with their telephone line and randomly pointing it at different people they don't like. So part of this morning, uh, they were asking people to call them. And I guess they're getting thousands of calls an hour on this phone number they have. And they directed it to the FBI field office in Detroit for a while and pissed them off. And then they moved on. And uh, later in the day, I guess they were pointing it at H.B. Gary. And so H.B. Gary's phone was ringing nonstop with people looking for the, the lulsec guys. I mean, it, it looks like harm, you know, somewhat harmless pranksterism. But the reality is they have leaked a lot of information on a lot of individuals, caused a lot of damage. And it's criminal. I mean, if we, we wouldn't tolerate this type of behavior in civil society walking down the street. Like, it's, it's literally walking around with spray cans and graffitiing things. And it, it's just, um, it's not behavior uh, that's associated with people who are truly trying to look out for good in the world. So despite the poll results on Naked Security saying that uh, about half of our readers think that it's raising security awareness and that it's quite funny, I'm glad you're amused, but it is causing quite a lot of damage and it, and it is a criminal act and it's not really, I'm at least not that amused, but I'm a pretty um, dour kind of guy. Uh, other news, the International Monetary Fund acknowledged a breach. Um, there wasn't a lot of detail around that. Have you heard anything much about it, Chris? And I saw that, that, I guess for a while, the World Bank panicked and cut their link between them, and the, they, I guess they have a direct line, but I, I think that would be appropriate. If I thought I was breached and I was in the financial industry, I would certainly take precautions. Um, but the, I don't think a lot of other information has really come no, out. No, there's been very few details. Yeah. I mean, it does sound like maybe part of what we're going to be talking about later, a bit of a targeted attack. Mm -hmm. There was an internal memo um, going around at the IMF, I guess, about not opening email attachments without verifying from the sender that they were sent. So it kind of apply, implies this pattern of the phishing emails that we saw with um, the, the Gmail accounts uh, that were the federal you know, government officials mm -hmm. that were yeah. hacked. These kind of things. I guess that's what happened to RSA as well, right? The, mm -hmm. the uh, was a zero-day Excel flash vulnerability or something, that, right? That they had combined with, with spear phishing attack. Yeah. So I mean, it's starting to beg the question of whether. I mean, I've been saying this. I, I started out at Active State before we got acquired by Sophos and come from the the spam filtering days of uh, our our job here and. You know, I always said email is not a file transfer protocol. SMTP is not a file transfer protocol. Maybe that message will start having more impact if people keep getting hit. Like, it'd be really inconvenient to not be able to email an Excel spreadsheet or a PDF. But is it really the best way? I mean, you know, should we just be dropping those attachments at the edge? 
uh, or, or you know, I, I don't know what else you could do. I mean, it, it is. There are sandboxing approaches, especially if you know something's coming from an external address. You could choose to only open those kinds of attachments in some kind of sandboxed virtual, you know, VM. You know, we will not open an Excel spreadsheet from outside the company, not knowing where it came from. Uh, some... Yeah, I guess that kind of harkens back to the old Sophos days when we had internet accessible computers and internal computers mm-hmm. and they were completely separate. And if right. things came in from the outside, we had to Citrix into the environment where those files were located, look at them in that Citrix sandbox, if you mm-hmm. will. Yep. And that meant our internal network was always clean, even if we managed to sully our Citrix server for a little while and have to bounce it. Other things, the Nissan Leaf, apparently quite the cool automobile. I, I don't know a lot about it. I guess it's one of these new electric cars to compete with the, uh, the Chevy Volt that'll be coming out and this kind of thing. There's uh, been a lot of hype around it. And it turns out uh, it's got a neat feature. In fact, you could subscribe to the, RS, uh, the RSS feed for the self-security chat chat uh, or naked security for that matter. But if you were to do that, I guess I would know where you are and where you're going. Um, the, the news came out this week from a Sierra Wireless post in their blog uh, mentioned that the HTTP requests from the car when it's retrieving these feeds to display on the screen um, include your GPS coordinates and where your GPS destination is set in your car. So I'll know where you're at and where you'll be if you follow along to my RSS feed, which seems a bit, that's got to be a screw up. Um, the question is, why would you embed geolocation data in HTTP requests? There must be some legitimate use for this function mm-hmm. that accidentally crossed over into yeah. the RSS reader. There are, you know, legitimate uses to geolocation in HTTP, usually on a selective basis, where you would want to query your Google Maps API or something like that and want search results that are relevant to your current location. But you're not going to want that on everything, and you're definitely going to want to opt in, uh, hopefully, rather than opt out on something like that. Yeah, at least in the CR Wireless post, it was mentioned that it was nowhere in their terms of service or license mm. agreement, even that this might occur under the right circumstances, as you said, maybe for navigation purposes. Or I like the idea you know, of these things being able to go, where can I find a pizza? Mm-hmm. And knowing where you are when you're in your car and not having to hassle with interacting with the system when you're trying to drive and all these other kinds of things. But obviously, it, it seems to have gone a little bit out of control. And the question now is begged, can they ship an update over the air to the car to mm. fix this? Or are you going to have to take the car into the dealer and have them reprogram the computer? I mean, how flexible are these systems? Because I'm not, I think both answers make me uncomfortable. If, if the car can be updated over the air, that's kind of scary that maybe things are coming down that you don't want or, you know, you haven't given permission for. I don't know. It, mm-hmm. The smart automobile is a bit frightening and that the, the opportunities it opens up for causing mayhem is quite a, a large attack surface, it seems. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you have any readers that are, are driving uh, Leaf vehicles right now. It would be interesting if they do subscribe. Uh, maybe we should look at look at your feed and uh, see if we can... Yeah, I could go through the logs yeah, and see if anybody's... Could, uh, w- we promise not to track you too closely or publish uh, anything. <laughs> ne- next week we'll be asking who was listening to the chat chat at the corner of First and First Streets. Um, and the last news item I want to cover before we get into this targeted topic is Patch Tuesday. I mean, it's hard to ignore it. It was huge yesterday. Um, Adobe patched uh, Flash, Acrobat, Reader, Cold Fusion, and something called Lifecycle, which I have no idea even what it is. But um, so Adobe did their quarterly patch. The next patch from Adobe will be due on September thirteenth, twenty eleven. I complimented Adobe in the Naked Security site uh, yesterday because I think. 
they've really made a big turnaround the last couple of years in getting a very consistent release cycle or release schedule, communicating it openly to the public about when they're going to be doing it, what it's going to be covering. Um, they still, unfortunately, have a, a, a seemingly very large quantity of flaws to fix, um, but the, the openness of communication is just so night and day compared to, say, an Apple where you get up in the morning and every day you're like, hmm, should I run check for updates? Because, gee, I don't know, Apple might have just released a security patch that I won't know about if I don't go check for it. So it's really good to see you know, Adobe kind of copying Microsoft's model a little mm-hmm. bit. They joined the map program. Mm-hmm. They're, they're being very consistent and open about what they're doing, and they seem to be taking security a lot more seriously, even though, like I say, there's still a large number of flaws. But I guess... The more things you patch, and arguably, the more secure you are, because we all have flaws in our products. Exactly. And you got to get those patches out there. Uh, it's definitely a sign of maturing. And, and as someone in the threat research field, I have to say we definitely appreciate it as well. Having regular release cycles helps integrate with other security vendors, security products. We can all be ready for for patches as they come out. Administrators can be ready to deploy them. Everything can be kind of tuned to minimize the the gap when attackers know about a vulnerability and it's not patched and it doesn't eliminate it, but it definitely puts us all on the same page and helps us respond together on on potential threats. Yeah, and the sandboxing stuff they did in Redirects is now also in the full Acrobat product. And you know, in talking with Pob in our UK lab, who does a lot of our kind of specialty PDF research. Um, we haven't really seen any exploits against Acrobat escape the sandbox so far for redirects. So it's been a, largely a successful effort on Adobe's uh, behalf to kind of contain it a little bit. And it's only a matter of time before something figures out a way out. We've seen Java's you know, sandboxing escape you know, well, just about every hour. Um, but nonetheless, uh, you know, sandboxes aren't perfect, but so far theirs is holding up pretty good. And the Chrome one seems to be what they based it on. The Chrome sandbox has held its own. There's been a few people that have claimed to have escaped it, um, although arguably through Flash, funny enough. But it's a good start. So um, the, this targeted stuff. So, I mean, you know, the press and everybody likes to talk about the APT and da 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 you know, advanced persistent threat. And that kind of is what this is to some degree. But let's just talk about them as, as genuinely just targeted threats as opposed, as opposed to how, how advanced or not they might mm-hmm. be. And, you know, we've been seeing more of this. What can, what can you share with us from the labs? I mean, obviously, this is, it's not a new thing. I mean, these things have been going on for a very long time. But is it, is it accelerating? Are we seeing more customers or more attacks against a small number of customers? Or what are we seeing? Yeah, we're definitely seeing an increase in this. And and I'd attribute it to the same kind of effect that we see in, in every other kind of criminal activity like this, say like Mac malware. So Mac fake AV is relatively recent on the scene. Uh, and, and a big reason was it just wasn't where the perceived money was. There was a lot of money to be had on the Windows uh, machines for fake AV. It was kind of a proven model, and it received a lot of attention from the criminals. Then you have successful Mac malware running. They start to get a taste for it. People are clicking through on this. They're purchasing it. They're, we're getting a revenue stream from this. All of a sudden, everyone wants a piece, and you get a lot more Mac malware. Similarly, with these kinds of targeted, thre- targeted threats, we're hearing about it in the news. Uh, you are definitely seeing that targeted attacks are successfully getting into organizations, exfiltrating information. Criminals are making use of that information, whether it's financial information to commit fraud and get, and get that money, or blackmailing with sensitive information. They are having some level of success and so everybody wants a piece of that. And so you've got more people 
trying things and more people doing things. Uh, it's really hard to have any kind of absolute metrics on this. Of course, companies in many cases will not report this if they can at all help it. They're not going to want to come public about it. But in a combination of what we see in the news, in a combination of knowing uh, what our customers and and companies in general are facing, we can say that we are seeing more, I would say, in the last six months even than we did in the six months before it. Now, when the quantity increases or when it gets the interest of more criminally minded people, does it become does it become more templated? So certainly when we look at fake AV, you know, we do see changes here and there where they have advanced the th- initial scam to, f- to lure you in, the mm-hmm. fish kind of thing into mm-hmm. it. But, you know, in general, it became quite templated. And, you know, do, do you think th- with these targeted attacks, if they become too templated, they won't be successful, right? So, I mean, is there kind of a, is it, is it kind of a looser... Does it require a greater level of sophistication for the people getting involved, or will it turn into similar random you know anybody can pick up a toolkit and run with it i my perception based on the attacks that i've investigated is that it is more of the latter that that's maybe the difference that there have been some successful attack models developed i tend to call them a playbook it's like uh you know the old heist movies where they they say we're gonna run this ploy where you pretend to sell this and trick the guy to do this and it's, it's like they have a playbook with 16 steps, and a few of those steps involve pieces of malware or security tools or fairly innocent components or an email or a link or whatever, and they kind of run down this set and do something that looks very similar, and a couple of them are fill in the blank. So in this one, address it to the person that you were able to determine was the CTO, and in this stage give it a company, internal company project name that you were able to uncover. Uh, That kind of thing is kind of filled in. So there's some modifications minimally made to kind of fill in the blanks and create this for an organization. But the general play out of things in terms of email comes first, then they compromise this, then they get onto here, then they deploy these tools and do some manual stuff. Those kind of stages of the attack, we have seen the same attack attempted against different organizations and I think that's why we're actually seeing more of it because the old style completely from the ground up attack takes a lot of resources and a lot of development and that actually is beyond most organizations probably do and probably doesn't have a cost benefit ratio that is going to be attractive to criminals but if they have a play that they know that has worked for them before and they can run that against a dozen 100 organizations and maybe succeed in some percentage of them, then they're going to get their payback a lot more. Uh, and then we can talk about a lot of aspects of it, but obviously the hopeful aspect, like you say, is that as we become aware of these, as we are in Sophos Labs, we're able to add detection for a number of elements of these attacks in such a way that we can protect our customers against any similar attacks, even if they've varied elements to target their particular company. Yeah, I guess it, it's a lot like putting together a, a labs tour or a presentation or anything else, like the upfront investment to do the first one and build that playbook, right? to build that plan about what is a model that's going to work and you execute it once and maybe it doesn't, but then you realize your fatal flaw Mm -hmm. was you made this mistake. So you tweak it and you tweak it. Then once you get it honed in, 
you just go around the world delivering it. Yes. And these operations that these guys are running seem to be templated off the way we run businesses and anything else. Once you figure out the model to success, why, why change it, right? Yeah. I mean, you, just, you keep tweaking it in until you get it in the sweet spot, and then you go mass market. In fact, I've been shocked when looking into some of these targeted attacks that have felt very particular when I look into the details and use the tools that we have available to us to, to find other samples. Uh, people may not be aware, but the security field is quite an open field. We do a lot of sample sharing. So we are sharing samples of malicious things that we find with uh, other, other security vendors. Of course, you know, in certain circumstances, especially in a targeted attack, we will uh, sometimes withhold things that might have identifying information about sure. the customer. But in other cases, we're sharing stuff. And it's easy to see in a number of cases that others have discovered very, very similar attacks. Yeah, other vendors are running into the, 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 maybe the same guys, but because they're not hitting a million companies, they're hitting 30. Yeah. It's harder sometimes to put those pieces together to figure out that it's, you know, that it is a playbook or a template or whatever mm -hmm. kind of thing. So if you, if you're an IT guy and you're worried about protecting your network against these types of attacks, and especially maybe you're in a high-profile industry, you've got some ex particularly valuable intellectual property or something that, that uh, might be involved, what, how do you stop this stuff? Because the perceived wisdom um, by the non-antivirus community in the security community, and I listen to a lot of other podcasts, is, oh, uh, you know, AV's a fail for that. It can't help. You're, you're screwed if you're depending on your AV. You've got to really look elsewhere. There's, you know, you, you've got to be setting up this crazy network of IDS detect, you know, detectors, and you've got to have this Uber log management system from, from you know, the the space station to collate all this stuff together, you know, and that's your only hope of detecting it, right? You're already screwed. And, and I, I don't, I don't believe that's true. So w from what you're seeing, what kind of things can you take the tools you already have mm -hmm. and, and put them to use to, to possibly detect these things or, or at least get a warning. Like, you know, we talked before the podcast that it's not always possible to prevent the breach. I mean, somebody may fall for opening that attachment and that attachment might truly be a brand new zero day in some tool that you're using. But early detection is important because it sounds like if there's 16 steps that it's going to take them a while to knit that all together to get to whatever it is they're trying to get to. First comment would be, it can't hurt to have uh, some kind of heuristic IPS IDS system, uh, be able to do this log aggregation, all those kind of things. If you have the resources to do that, go for it. it. It really cannot hurt and you may be able to do something really great with it. But what you need to have is you need to have a security expert who's auditing that, staying on top of it, knows your network uh, like the back of his hand, his or her hand, and knows what to do with those logs. And that's really not the case with everyone. And we're seeing attacks against more medium-sized targets that are not going to have a full-time security analyst uh, on, on the staff that can do that. So like you, I think that there is a lot more that can be done on the AV endpoint side. I, I think some have given up way too easily on this. Um, and, and so there's a number of things that, that we're doing and that, that our customers can do. One of the, the first is to use uh, detections that are uh, generic and behavioral. So uh, for uh, Sophos customers, that's going to be things like our generic uh, generic behavioral genotype detections, which are pre-execution. It's going to be your HIPS detections that are runtime. Um, in looking at a number of these attacks, uh, the vast majority, there's been at least one HIPS alert that would have been in the console that could have triggered an invest or that actually 
in fact, usually did trigger the investigation. So um, it's that it is that warning shot across the bow kind of thing. That, it is. Mm, this is awful suspicious. And for folks that may not be familiar with our terminology, mm-hmm. like, for example, uh, the types of things that HIPS can do would be look at a process, say, LSAS and the, you know, the Windows security process and, and watch that process and notice that suddenly it's trying to launch a command shell. Mm-hmm. And you go, wait a second, you know, we've written detection to say that behavior is an inappropriate behavior. This service never should legitimately, mm-hmm. it looks like it must be being overflowed or, you know, it's been compromised in some way. And unfortunately, LSAS has been reasonably stable lately. But, you know, we can monitor lots of different kinds of processes for that type of behavioral thing. Um, you know, why is Adobe Flash trying to launch cmd.exe or something? You know, that's the idea behind the behavioral detection. It's not that we know that Flash has been compromised. What we know is that Flash should never be doing this. Right. So therefore, we're going to raise an alert and go something uh, something outside of our normal pattern is mm-hmm. happening that shouldn't happen. Yes. And so the trick for that is to get the the kind of sensitivity level right, of course. Uh, when, when HIPS first came out for many vendors, it was too noisy. The average customer got a lot of alerts on legitimate, legitimate stuff and never cleared those. And so, you know, the new alert gets lost in the noise. Uh, so one of the messages is to, to have a solution that works for you. You definitely have to have something that you understand the alerts that you're getting. There may be a little bit of uh, upfront investment. If you're getting something on a legitimate business process, determine that um, in, in Sophos terminology, authorize that so that you no longer see that and you kind of have a clear field to see anything that falls outside of that. Uh, there is a, a certain level of knowing your network. Uh, a typical conversation with a Sophos customer will go something like this. They'll, they'll send in a file and say, this triggered HIPS regmod 008, kind of end of message, and a file. We'll look at the file, and the file itself, uh, when it's par- part of a targeted attack, we may be able to write back and say, yes, this file registers services for two executables named this and this. You know, you didn't submit those files. Would you be able to find them, and can you tell us... Are those yours? Did you expect to install services like this? And they may recognize them or not. They'll send them in. We'll look at them and we'll say, okay, these services dump process memory. Are you expecting on these servers to be having a service that is dumping process memory? And they'll say no. Then we'll you know, look further and, and say, actually, it looks like something's probably doing that, something with that. Let's put a watch um, you know, with support to look for something that's dropping to this folder, see what's doing that, see what's reading that. Then you find the next component that's scanning. Uh, often these are multi-component threats where you cannot see a single executable and go, ah, I understand the whole attack chain. You need to get pieces. And, and it is that triggering event, that recognizing something suspicious is happening, getting the initial thing that can cause the investigation. Uh, we can talk more a bit later. I don't think... It's always about zero day. I think in a lot of these attacks, we are now adding detection where we can recognize the attack in progress and block it if it's following the same pattern. But if you are subject to something that has never been attempted before or is brand new, uh, there's still an ability to really quickly detect that something's happening, understand it, and contribute to the general detection that's going to protect yourself and other customers from similar kinds of attacks. Yeah, I think we've uh, we talked about a couple weeks ago when I had um, uh, Paul on from our support department. Just the idea that you know the tool can only do so much, and I think that's largely the case with things like HIPS, where you have to be paying attention. You actually do need to manage and and pay attention to the alerts when they come up, and to go 
mm, why is that? Like, if I don't understand completely why this event is occurring, you really do need to ask those questions. Pick up the phone, get a hold of somebody in the lab, get a hold of your support rep, get a hold of whoever you need to get a hold of to ask for some help. Because I don't think most uh, organizations, like you say, have a crack staff of security pros that know how to reverse engineer malware. Right. Um, they, and we don't expect it. It's, and, and the model the that we're set up to right? do is that customers submit those things to us. And in, in the lab, our, our threat researchers can can go over these things quite quickly where it, it takes potentially, you know, five minutes to make a quick assessment, uh, maybe less if it is a legitimate business piece of software, we can we can make that assessment fairly quickly and uh, and put, put your mind at ease or, you know, tri- trigger off of something that is more suspicious and requires more investigation. Well, that brings up the, the last point we have time for today, but I think um, those normal tools that we do know about that we can identify immediately but when they're used in non-normal mm. ways right so in our parlance we would call those potentially unwanted applications which you know it's great for me to be able to sit at my desk and run ps kill on my server in the other room because i don't like to have to get up unless it's for a cup of coffee mm-hmm. but on the other hand if that tool were to show up in a different part of the environment that might be a total so context is kind of important here right i mean you got to know absolutely it's one thing to have vnc because you do use VNC, but it's another mm-hmm. thing to have VNC perhaps somewhere where there's a tunnel to an external organization that you didn't even realize was there. So, Yes. I would actually say probably the best thing you can do as a network administrator is to take control of your potentially unwanted applications that are authorized or not, as well as your application control if you're a Sophos customer. Uh, there are things that are under application control. They're completely legitimate software, but if you're not using it or expecting it to be used on particular machines, have it disabled. It's it's the basic wisdom of reducing the attack surface. So for example, if you know that you have servers and you do not use remote administration tools, or you do not use PSExec, or you do use one version of a remote administration tool, but you do not use any other brands of it, Enable only the one you use, because typically what these attackers will do is once they get to the point that they've got an entry, a tunnel into the system, they jump in and they're running tools manually, and they've got their favorites. They're going to open up the shell that they're used to, uh, and they'll have brought that with them. They're going to use their version of PSExec. They're going to use their remote administration tool. Their netcat, their exactly. you know, password dumper, whatever. And if you, can, if you can have those just disabled by default, either on your entire network or at least on servers that you don't expect you know, web browsers to be being used, uh, if you can have that off, um, you may want to have that alert only if you just want the notification, but you can actually have that blocked and so that the, the attacker has no idea. They really honestly have no idea what your policy is, right? So whereas some other tools, they could upload them to VirusTotal, see if it's detected, go, oh, that's detected. I better not use that on their network. You know, Sophos detects it. In this case, they have no idea that their tool is going to end up being blocked and trigger alert. So you've basically laid a trap for them. You get that alert. It blocked them in progress, and you know that someone's in there and doing something, and they haven't got any further. You can quickly go in, assess the damage, and uh, hopefully they haven't got any further because you blocked step, you know, yeah. step seven of the 16-step attack. You set, you set the tripwire. Exactly. So, well, thanks for joining us, Chris. We're going to have you back when we were prepping for the podcast. We had a lot of things that we think would be uh, fun to share with the audience. So I appreciate mm-hmm. you coming in today. Yeah, thank Before you. Before the Canucks hopefully bring home the Stanley Cup, uh, Cup in about three hours from now. And uh, as always, uh, this has been Software Security Chat Chat number 64. You can get all of our podcasts at podcasts.sophos.com. They're also available via RSS on iTunes 
And uh, for the latest security news, visit nakedsecurity.sophos.com. Until next time, stay secure.